Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus. God has been so good to us to bring us all together once again under his name. Amen? He's a good God and he is holy. Peter gave us this admonition. He said, be ye holy for God is holy. Although we should know uh, that we will always fall short of this kind of perfection, It doesn't mean we should not press toward this prize, right? To be found in Christ having true righteousness given to us by God. So we're not trying to impress God, but we would love to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. To God-given righteousness that comes through faith that works. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 42, where... The psalmist, which is actually not David, which, is the, which are the sons of Korah, wrote these words that should be our prayer today as we gather together. Psalm 42, 1 says, As the heart, or the deer, pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept thy holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep, and the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto the God, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I a mourning because of the oppression of mine enemy? And with the sword and my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why are thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him 
who is he that is the health of my countenance and my God. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you today longing for you. Lord, our soul without you is lonely and sad and without a resting place, but we have found rest in you today. Lord, we long to be in your presence with your people. We pray today, Lord, as we gather and we reach out to you for comfort, Lord, that the arms of those that are around will hold us, will hug us, will pull us into the body of Christ. Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we come before you uh, as sinners, Lord, that you would wash us from our iniquities and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And Lord, as we hunger and thirst after righteousness, you would answer our cries and our prayers by filling us with your spirit and feeding us from heaven. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. for just a little bit longer here as I read for you the 26th Psalm. It has continued to be a great uh, joy of mine to be working our way through the Psalms and Psalm 26 once again brings us to something maybe we would not talk about. We're not very evidently brought forth here. We're going to talk about uh, my sermon today is called Prove Me and um, it is about praying that God would sanctify us, um, praying that God would do things in us. Oftentimes we would not think to ask for that because we're just wanting some good stuff. <laughs> but there's, there, there's a lot of good that comes from that. Let me read for you Psalm 26, verse, it's 12 verses, and uh, we'll walk our way through this uh, today in my sermon, Prove Me. Psalm 26, starting in verse 1, a psalm of David. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in thee, Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, prove me, and try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked." I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish the voice of thanksgiving and tell of thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief and the right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me. And be merciful unto me. My foot stands in an even place in the congregation. Will I bless the Lord? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. That we would hear your word and we would be changed by it. Lord, let it accomplish in it that which you have sent it to do. We know none of your words ever fall to the ground. In Christ's name we pray, and God's people said, you may be seated. There are some pretty serious requests in this psalm. 
Judge me. Everybody say, judge me. Examine me. Prove me. And try me. Are these things you say in your prayers? Here in the 12 verses of the 26th Psalm, we see David once again, a man whose heart panted or longed after God, longing not just for the miraculous hand of his salvation, not merely for his blessings with good things, but here he asks God to judge him, to examine him, to prove him, and to try him. Is true holiness your heart's desire? Do you long to shed the sins and evil desires of your flesh and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and transformed by God into the new man which is created in righteousness and true holiness? Is that what you want? I hope so. I hope that's what we all want. Oftentimes we come to God asking for things, but we don't think to ask for that. In Psalm 42, which was our call to worship, Israel prayed this for thousands of years, and many of his, much of Israel still does. And he said, as the deer pants for the water, there is an imagery here of a deer that's actually being hunted. It's running and running. You know, have you, has, have you ever run for your life? I have actually run for my life more than once. Uh, I'll tell you something that happens when you're running for your life and you think you're going to die, um, is that you get very thirsty. Now, I've never been in battle like these people, or I've never been a hunted animal, but I have been pretty convinced I was going to die if I didn't get away quick from wherever I was. You get super thirsty. This, this deer that's running from the dogs, from the hunters, it's running, it's running. And as, as the deer longs for the water, it, it wants to stop and it wants to take a drink real bad, but it can't stop. It's got to keep, it's got to keep running. That picture here is in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do we really thirst for God? Do we really long to be like Him? Or do we really just want Him to help us out? Do we want Him to make our lives a little bit easier? Imagine if that is what your wife thought you were for, men. That's it, just to make their lives a little easier. Don't you want your wives to want you, to love you, to cherish you, to value you? Wives, isn't that what you want from your husbands? Right? You want them to love you, children? Don't you want your mom and dad just to not want you to get, you know, run over by a truck? Don't you want that a little bit more than that from your parents? Right? Dad, 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 you know, mom, 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 mom. Today, let this be our heart's cry to seek after God, to draw near to Him, to long after Him like a thirsty deer being pursued by a pack of hunters. This, this extraordinary thirst is what is being pictured. May we long for God's Spirit not only to comfort us in our times of trouble and distress, but we may, may we long for Him to judge us, to examine us, to try us, and even to prove us. Can we say amen? Amen. amen. Probably is going to be quiet in here today. It's hard to get cranked up about praying to God to send us fiery trials. <laughs> right? That's how we get proven. But if we really long for 
a depth of walk with God, a relationship with God, we understand that the dross of our sin weighs us down. It stands between us and God and us and others. Right? You know, Elaine, you're, you're nodding your head. You know, you're, you're, you have a good husband, but his sins kind of, they can separate you, right? When, when he isn't considering you and he's not thinking of you and he's thinking, it gets between that, right? And our sin comes between us and our God. You remember Isaiah going, whoa, I'm a man with unclean lips and unclean hands, right? And what did God, God didn't go, no, they're not, you're just fine. No, a coal came off of the altar and touched and purified his lips. It made them holy. I don't exactly understand what, how that can be, but God can take us who are unholy. He can take us who are filthy and dirty. The Bible says, though our sins are scarlet, they shall be white as wool. I'll never think about that the same as I, after what happened this year in, in uh, Machu P when I was preaching and I, I mentioned that didn't matter how bad your sins were. Didn't matter how much you've done. God can come. I remember Derek, the woman, she ran to the altar and she said, I knew you were talking to me because I'm so sinful. And you said it didn't matter how bad I was. <laughs> oh, that we would all see ourselves like that. Amen. So let's walk through Psalm 26 and see what God would have to say to us here. Starting in verse 1. A Psalm of David. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. In the onset as he, he mentions this, he's, the judgment that he's talking about is not actually the judgment I'm talking about, but you'll see he moves to that in the next verse, okay? This is another one of the Psalms of King David. It seems that in the first 26 Psalms, most of those are David's Psalms. You'll see that he only does half of the 150 Psalms, but here in the first 26, he has done, uh, his name is ascribed to most every single one of these so far. There's a, a couple that don't mention any name that people believe David even wrote. So we are still in the Psalms of David. We know that God will one day be the judge of all men at the end of our lives on Judgment Day. And we're kind of comfortable with, with that, in a sense. We believe that our righteousness is not what we're going to go before God, but it'll be the righteousness of Christ. And so with that kind of God being our judge, we're a little bit more comfortable because it seems so far away. Right? Most of us are not thinking Judgment Day is coming tomorrow, are you? It might be. This may be the last day you live. Tomorrow may be your judgment day before the Lord. But, but many of us think, and they put it so far off in the future, it's okay to think of God as being our judge one day really far away in this distant future that really doesn't seem real to us. But do you know God is our judge right now? Everybody say, God is my judge right now. Here David begins his prayers with these words, Judge me. Now that sounds pretty brave to me. Perhaps bravery is really not at the heart of its all, but it is humility. By this time in David's life, no doubt, David has seen God's hand of judgment several times. People who walk with God know that they are God's because, as the Scriptures tells us, those He loves, He does what? He, he judges us. He chastens us. 1 Corinthians 11.32 said that we should pray that, that we would be judged now 
so that we will not be condemned with the world. In fact, God, uh, God's word here encourages us through Paul to judge ourselves. But I mean, Steve, if you're like me, you kind of just wonder, am I even judging right? Sometimes I think, you know, you're not being proud or, or I think I'm being humble or I think I'm being this. And I think that probably our judgments about ourselves are probably not right. You know, what does it say? There's a way that seems right unto a man, you know, the end thereof are the ways of death. Sometimes we take our sins and, and when we really are discouraging people, when we're really using our mouth to hurt them and not build them up, we just go, well, I like to just provide a good balance. That's what we do. We see ourselves like that. You know, that's just me. You know, that's the part of the body of Christ I play. I just go ahead and, you know, balance out all those super excited people for God. I, I don't really know that that's probably the best judgment of what you are and who you are. But God knows, right? And so when we pray and we say, God, judge me, what we're saying is, God, help me to know what I really am. I want to see who I am. David was judged, and I, it's hard to believe. I don't, we don't know exactly when he wrote this psalm, but he was judged pretty harshly on more than one occasion. His sin with Bathsheba was judged by the death of, his, uh, of the baby that was conceived in adultery. Murder and sexual sin uh, were rampant among his children because of the treacherous way that he had killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. We also remember another time that David was judged harshly when he counted Israel. He wanted to number them to see if he had enough to go conquer the enemy, right? And when he counted that there were 70,000, you know, what, what happened? An angel came and 70,000 people were killed. Do you guys remember David begging the Lord, Stop! Please stop! Stop this! It's not their fault! It's mine! That verse reminds us that when we sin, not only uh, does God deal with us individually, but He judges those people who we have been given responsibility and authority over. If your pastor lives in sin, this whole church might be judged. If you as a father sin and, and do ungodliness in your life, your whole family might be judged. You remember the story of Achan? Was it Achan's sweet wife and children that stole the things inside of Jericho and hid them in his tent? No, it was not. But yet was it him and his whole family where a pile of rocks were put on when they were stoned to death? They were judged. It's a rough thing. We want to be judged of God because we're not very good judges of ourselves. Honestly, when I see how severe the judgments were, it might cause us not to want God's judgment in our lives. But the truth is, is that no matter how painful and difficult God's judgments are on us, they are what we need. And they are, in fact, a mercy. God's not punitive. He's not trying to punish us or even to get even with us. His judgments are loving and merciful and brought for us to be correction and reproof. Though His discipline, when He disciplines us, he leads us like a father. Now, it is difficult to be a good dad. How many of you dads have found this to be true? It's difficult. You know, you, you know what the kid needs. You just don't want to do it. It's painful, right? And there are some things that, that, that good parents have done with their children and to their children that are just absolutely like, oh, I can't believe they were that hard. You know, if, you're, if you think your parents are hard, 
I would say that the times that my parents were the most severe in my life may have been the best things that they did for me. I'm not trying to create a horrible thing. You know, you kids are like, well, I thought this was a cool church. You know, I don't want to go here. (laughs) They're encouraging our dad to come down with a hammer, you know. We don't know. But when God comes into our lives and he brings difficult things like the death of a child, difficult things like what happened with David's sons, this was the judgment of God. He had sexually sinned. He had done so openly. He was a murderer. And so God said, this is the sword will not depart out of your house. And we know about Amnon and we know about Absalom and we know about Tamar and we know about the all of that. That was sin on the part of those people, but that was the judgment of God brought on David. We call him Father when we pray, and we call him Father when we ask him to give us things what we want, but are we willing to ask our Father to judge us as David did here? Are we, do we even want that? Do we really want that kind of a dad? Or do we just want the dad who brings us presents at our birthday? Children in foster care will tell you that's not what they want. The dad that shows up or doesn't show up and he brings the presents on a birthday, but he isn't your dad. That's not what anybody wants. Those kids go away with aching hearts, longing for a dad who loved them enough to discipline them and to lead them in the paths of righteousness. Let these words make it into our prayers. Amen. We should find ourselves more fearful of being left out of the judgments of God. Do we take God's example and treat our children this way? Are we willing to bring difficult and awful painful correction in the lives of our children for their own good? Or are we too interested in them liking us? Or maybe you are harsh. Maybe too harsh. Are you the unjust judge in your own home? Dishing out judgment meant to repay your children for the bad things they do or don't do? You see, not doing anything, though, is something too. It's called neglect. We should remember that as parents, not to neglect our children or not to be too severe. There, I, when I'm with Brother Kevin, he has this thing, he goes, there's the one ditch and the other ditch, right? We can be too hard or we can do nothing. These are the ditches we can fall into. God wants us to walk down the middle of the road and provide good discipline, appropriate discipline, that is meant to correct and to love. Amen? God will judge the world, but before He does that, the Scriptures tells us that He is doing what? He is judging who? He's judging His people. Judgment begins at the house of God. David's prayer is, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. David, in this instance, in verse 1, is basically asking for God's judgment because he's being judged by other people who are judging him incorrectly. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Oh, this is why they did this. This is why Rebecca is the way she is. She just wants to be blah, 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 right? Now you know who you are, and, and God knows who you are, but everybody else doesn't know. It's nice that Steve sees it in a good way. Someone else might just say, she just walks in our house like with treats us with no respect. You see the heart of love that she has for your family, whether she you know, interrupts your dinner or whatever, right? God knows. God knows if we are doing what's right 
and what's righteous. And here, David is saying, Lord, you know I'm trying to do my best. And, and what I've done in this case isn't wrong. And I've wanted to be right before your eyes. And so he calls on God to judge him, reminding us that really God's judgment is the judgment we should care about most. Amen? People may look at you in your life and they go, oh, well, that Benjamin, blah, blah, blah about him. That Nathaniel, you know, he, he thinks this, he thinks that. He thinks he's so smart or he thinks he's so whatever. The deal is, is God knows what you think. God knows who you are. We should long for God to look at us and truly judge us for who we are and help us if we need it. As the leader of Israel, I'm certain that his actions and words that David made were judged by others and they were not at all what his heart was. And so David is praying that God would see his heart like no man could and he was, because he believed he was motivated for right. Instead of being angry at people for judging your motives, take this request to God. When people come and they say, you know, this is why you did this thing, or this is what she thinks about herself, instead of being so hurt and angry, just go, oh God, how do I really think? Lord, examine my heart. Lord, help me. I, wanna, I want to be clean, not only just with what I do with my hands, but where do I want to be clean? I want to be clean in my heart. Amen? We can see the core of the psalm here in the next phrase. It helps us understand with the opening words that David is calling on God to look deep into his life. Now, if you think that all that matters in your life is what you do, what you say out loud and what you do with your hands, you're very, very, very mistaken. The commands, the Ten Commandments, don't just cover what we do with our hands. They cover what we think in our hearts. We want not only our works to praise God, but we want the very meditations of our heart and all of our thoughts to glorify God. Do your thoughts glorify God? Are you thinking how you're better than others? Or are you thinking you wish you could get the uh, accommodation and praise of others because you're great? Is that really what you're thinking? Verse 2, examine me, O Lord, prove me, try my reins and my heart. This is a very very dialed down, very amplified phrase. The three Hebrew words mentioned here are very similar to each other, but they're nuanced and they they grow by degree. You know, to kind of look something over, to kind of really look into something and to really examine it and pick apart and, and, and to clean up. These are, these are what these words are here. So as we get more specific, the psalmist calls on God to examine him, to prove him, to, and to try him to his very depths. And I'll ask you again, have you asked God to do this to you lately? And another thing, why don't we want... God to do this. Why? Because it's a very scary thing. Because those of you that are scared are probably scared because you believe that God hears your prayers. <laughs> I don't just want to say that to God. He might just do that because he's, he's a real God. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but I don't think we should be afraid of asking God to be our judge, to prove us, to examine us. He's, he's not going to hurt us. He's not going to be like your kid who you're trying to get the splinter out of your finger and he just, you know, ah! You know, that's not God. Here in verse 2, we see this triple request that calls back to verse 1. He had called on God to judge him, and now he uses three words. He says, examine me, prove me, and try me. 
This was emphasis, I'm sure, but also very specific if you get into the Hebrew of it. The people that read it in that day, they would understand. There are three ideas that are being examined here. Uh, tested is to be is to is to uh, to be looked into, to examine, to be tested. To uh, the, the the next one is like temptation. Now God does not tempt us, but what does He do? He tests us, right? Right. He tells God, "I want you to." He tells Abraham. God tells Abraham, "Take your son, your only son Isaac, and go and." Offer him as a sacrifice. What was this for Abraham? It was a test. Okay? What's he going to do? Is he going to do it? Or is he not going to do it? He goes. He gathers up the wood. He goes with his son. He gets all the way to tying his son up. He gets all the way to getting the knife out. He gets all the way to raising his knife. And an angel has to come and stop his hand. Was Abraham going to do it? Everybody say, Abraham was definitely going to do it. Do you think this wasn't a trial for him? I can't even remotely comprehend that. Anybody that thinks that they are dedicated to God, try to imagine that. Try to imagine it, Annie. Try to imagine taking Corinne, taking Matthew, obeying God, and, and I can't even comprehend it, honestly. Folks, we're a whole lot more impressed by certain things in the Bible than I think than this one. This was pretty impressive. He was willing to do it. it. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, he believed that God had the power to raise his son from the dead, even if he did kill him. Now, why? I'm not recommending anybody do anything like that, but this is a story in the Bible where God is testing. How many of you want to be tested of God? You know, Matt got a, uh, a call from this guy and he shows up to work at the guy's house and the guy goes, well, you passed the first test. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, we're not going to do anything today. You're not even going to do anything here at this house. But so many people today, they don't even show up on time. And, and you passed the second test. You don't look like you're going to hurt me. <laughs> Matt sh shows up and he's got his all-American apple pie smile on and he's on time and he's like, well, how you doing? You know? And he's like, shit, Mark. He's not terrifyingly scary with a, you know, tattoo on his face and a cigarette hanging out and going, you know, talking like he just smoked crack. I mean, he's, he's not that guy. Oh, he passed the test, all right? God puts us to the test. You might not understand this. You might not understand that what God does is he gives you an Elizabeth and he says, what are you going to do with her? And you go, well, she's got all these Elizabeth problems. And, and I would really be a good parent if she didn't have all those Elizabeth problems. Yeah. God sends you. You know, the Bible says that you need to be careful how you treat people. Right? What does James say? Someone comes into your church and they don't really smell so great and they don't look like they have anything. And you kind of like, could you kind of sit over here? But then a guy comes in and, you know, he's worth lots of money and he's important and he's got a squeaky clean homeschool family. Like, oh, come and sit here. Oh, wait, hey, would you mind sitting over there? You're like, Matt, could you watch that guy to make sure he doesn't hurt anybody while he's here? And could you, hey, you know, could you sit in the back? Could you watch? Could you sit up front? You know what I'm saying? The Bible says we have treated people that weren't, weren't people. 
They might be angels from God. What, what, is, what would that be for? What, guys, let's say that's a test. How do you treat people? Are you passing the test? Are you loving people? Are you seeing every human being as someone who's going to live for eternity somewhere? Do you treat men with respect of persons? Do you, are, is that how you are? God wants to know. What are you like? Are you seeing yourself as who you are? Or are you just looking at the world for the way it looks at face value? The last case is a trying or the, the, the refining of fire. That's why I had the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you think this was a test for them? And it went from a test. Here's the golden, here's the golden thing. Are you going to bow down? And they passed the test. They didn't do it, right? And so God puts with this the actual fire in the test. And he throws them in the fire and they don't burn. Honestly, I was up here and sometimes I don't remember all of the exact you know, details of every Bible story. And I don't know why I thought of this, but this is funny. I'm thinking, the guys who carried them in there, when they opened the door, maybe those flames killed them, but they kind of blocked the flames from the guys, from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I was trying to think of a, a rational way these guys might have lived, okay? And, and when they threw them in there, they, they really kind of went over the fire, and they were at this place inside the fire that maybe wasn't so bad. I don't know. I was just kind of thinking this. And then, I, and then, I, and then he read it. He's like... They didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't have their garments burned. So it wasn't like they, they got in a, a, some place where, you know, somehow they just got a little bit of burned. I was sort of picturing them coming out of there smoking, Andy. You know, They're, it, I thought they were tied up and maybe the ropes got burned off. I didn't know, you know, I'm thinking, uh, but God sends us through these fiery trials for real. You may be in a place where God is testing you and you've done right and it looks like as a result you're about to be thrown in the fire. Do you know the fire is a test as well? And this testing, this trying, this, this purifying, that's a little bit more serious of a test. They were probably okay for a minute when they weren't bowing down to the golden Nebuchadnezzar, right? But now that they're being bound and it says that they got some tough guys about them. I was trying to wonder in my mind, wonder if they tried to get away, you know, but it said they bound them up in their clothes and then they took them and they, they, these were strong men and they threw them in the fire. Not a lot of people talk about this. I don't know that they were all as serene, maybe, maybe they were serene and that they thought they were going to die. I don't know. We don't know what happened in their fiery trial. I don't know what's going to happen in yours. You may, you may pass one test and be passed into another one after that. To show that, that this trying, this examining, that this, uh, this proving that David was asking for, he asked God to test him, to prove him at his core, his thoughts and his heart. Sometimes you will see in the Psalms, it talks about their heart and it talks about trying the reins. Everybody say their reins. Just so you know, it's a Hebrew word and if you find it in another version, it will say your kidneys. Okay? Now you may or may not notice what your kidneys do. How many of you kids know what your kidneys do? Not a lot of people do. Your kidneys are like your filter for your blood. In your blood, there are uh, your, every cell, and I won't get into the science of this. I know you're not wanting a science lesson today. But in, in every cell, every cell eats food, and then every cell expels waste. 
Every cell uh, uses oxygen and every cell gets rid of carbon dioxide. And so when it goes through the kidneys, the impurities, all the yucky stuff that's in the, the blood, all of the used up, all of the, the, the refuse is taken out by the kidneys. You know, I'm sure they didn't understand this at the time, but this thought of their, the kidneys and the thought of the hearts is talking about the very depths, the very core of us. The kidneys might be the, the part of our body or the body of Christ that is constantly working to purify ourselves so that we can live our lives. You know, a, when a body or, or a church is filled with sin and ungodliness, um, bad things are going to happen. You know, People whose kidneys don't work have to have dialysis because when their kidneys stop working, they have to get another filter. And they can, they can do that. They can go to a place and the, a machine will actually filter all of their blood. God can be trusted with everything. Nothing can be hid from Him. People may not have proved trustworthy. Your father may not have been trustworthy, but God is. Tell him everything in your prayers. He already knows it. But pour out your heart to him in honesty and ask him to clean your heart and your depths of your core as well as your hands. To reassure himself and maybe all those who prayed these words, he reminded all of us of the goodness of God here in verse 3. Some of you, and I'm just wanting to make sure you understand what I was saying. When you pray, don't worry that you have to like protect God from the reality that who you are, you know, like, oh, you know, I don't really want to offend God by telling him. God knows all of it. He sees you for who you are. Be honest with God. Go, God, I'm really mad. I was really jealous of my sister or I was really angry. I really wanted this. It's okay to talk to God like that. He already knows it anyway. But, but in verse three, we are reminded that God is someone that can be trusted. When your heart fears to offer these prayers, let me read it. He says, verse 3, For thy loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. When your heart fears to offer honest prayers, people of God, be reminded of his love for us. He has loved us, as, the, as Jeremiah tells us, with an everlasting love. His mercies are new every morning. Jesus, who dwelt in human flesh, understands our frailties and has been touched by our humanity. The ladies in the, in the ladies' Bible study, they know this from Hebrews, right? Right? In Hebrews, the women are studying how Jesus is better than the angels. Right? He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. And he's better than the high priest too. He says, we have not been touched. Right? We have, we, our high priest has not been touched. Uh, our high priest has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. This is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11. Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain uh, mercy, that we may have help in the time of need. We need to offer honest prayers to God trusting that he understands our weaknesses. Amen? Here in verse 4, he, David reminds us how that we can participate in our own sanctification, how we can flee temptation. Verse 4, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go with dissemblers. Be careful who you spend your time with. Right? David reminds us to be careful about this. We don't need, uh, if we're vain, do we need to be hanging out with someone who's vain? Probably not. 
If we are likely to cause divisions, should we seek them out and go whisper in their ear and tell them something bad about someone in the church? Everybody say, no, no. We have enough trouble controlling ourselves. If you tend to be a gossip, you know better than anyone if you do. Maybe gravitating toward another gossip is not wise. Or, you know, sometimes in the church I've, I've told, I'm like, you, you need not to be friends with this person. Like, you are just really trying to manipulate and control me. I'm like, no, no, no. What I know is that if you, who have this serious problem, are always going to this person who I love too, but they have the serious problem, if you get together, what's going to happen? Right? So it doesn't mean that you're mad at them and you don't like them and you're trying to, you know, come out from among your own church people. But if you're around someone with your same weakness, don't get around them and just start. If you're a doubter, if you're a grumbler, if you're a complainer, stay away from doubter, grumbler, complainers and get around people that are offering up thanksgiving. Remember the words of Psalm 1. Now, this not only applies to the church itself, but it applies to the world. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that he does what? He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinner. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. His delights in the law of the Lord. Who you are with, who you are standing with, who you are sitting with, who you are walking around with matters a whole lot. He does not hang out with vain people who like cliques, who separate friends. That's what a dissembler is. Someone who says, we got, we're the super holy crew, or we're the super free crew, or we're the super whatever crew. People who cause little cliques and cause divisions in the church. I like you, and, but we don't like you. People that do that, God hates that. So if you are part of that, stop it. In the next verse, David uses a very strong word to talk about how he feels about those who sin in this way. And he uses the word hate here. Read it for us in verse 5. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Your closest friends cannot be those who do not know Christ. Certainly be kind to your neighbors. Certainly be kind to heathens out in the world. But they cannot be the ones that you're sitting with, that you're communing with. The Bible says there's no fellowship between light and darkness. Make friends, that's fine with your neighbors. But if your children are over at your neighbor's homes, and they're spending time with them, and they're learning their ways, you will end up being in deep sorrow. We can be polite to them in our conversation, but they can never be close like that. We are not to sit and to walk and to stay and to commune with those people and build our deepest relationships with them. They are reserved for the people of God. Now David here in verse 6 begins to use imagery from the tabernacle to picture the kind of life that he deeply desires. He wants to have clean hands, but he also wants to live in the presence of God. Verse 6, I wash my hands in innocency, so I will compass thine altar, O Lord. Before any priest offered sacrifices to God, he had to first go to the brazen labor. He went, the altar uh, was, when you walked in the tabernacle, the altar was first, but he had to walk around it, and he had to go to the next piece of furniture in the outer court, and it had water, and he would wash his hands, or baptize his hands, okay? He would pour water on them, which is what it means to baptize. He would cover his hands. He would wash them. But what David understood is that a man could have clean hands that may not have the filth of the world outside the tabernacle on them. But what kind of, how, how might his hands actually still be filthy? With sin, right? Right? The Bible talks about those that do these things have what kind of hands? They have, they have bloody hands. What do they mean? They, they're off doing bad things. So their hands may appear to look one way. But what are they really? 
right? So David says, I want to wash my hands so that I'm really clean. I really want my life to be clean, not just to look clean. I want it to be really clean. What did Jesus say about this? Looking clean is, is okay, but what's first? If you're going to wash a cup, alright? And I'll pick it up because I'm thirsty still. Jesus actually told us how to do dishes. He did, did he not? He said, you guys do what? You clean the outside of the cup, but what is the most important part of the cup to clean, guys? You ever drink a cup that's had like milk in it? Like someone gets you a glass of water, you don't drink it right away, and one of your kids has left a little bit of milk in there. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, that's great. Oh, not at our house, of course. But, but, but you look down, there's like 3,000 particles of, you know, you, first you take a drink, whoa, you know. The water has dissolved the hardened milk in the bottom of the thing. The Bible says, clean the inside of the cup that the outside of the cup may be clean. I can tell you right now, I want the inside of my cup clean. And that's what David is talking about. And see, folks, what we oftentimes do is we spend most of our time on the outside of the cup, not the inside. David wanted deep cleansing. He wanted to be clean on the inside. Jesus said it, you know, a man may not commit adultery, but if he really, really wants to, and if he's really, really thinking about it, and if he's really, really looking in that way toward a woman, then it's, he's already done it. The Bible talks about murder in this way. It says if you hate your brother, then what? That's murder. You might as well have killed him. God cares. He doesn't, you can't sit in this pew and hate somebody in this church. You can't do it. And he mentions something interesting here. He says that he wants to compass about the altar. And, I, and, and I'll just throw this in here for your, those of you that like to study the Bible. Brother Steve, you'll enjoy this. You know, he, when they crossed over Jordan and they went into the promised land, they brought, of course, their tabernacle with them, right? And so they had their tabernacle and they'd set it up. But from that day, you know what they did? One time a year at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would stand around the altar in a big circle and make a circle. And, and, and it reminded them that they walked around the walls of Jericho. And so it, he's referring to something that they did. They would take branches and they would take and they would wave them and say, Hosanna. Does it sound familiar about what when Jesus did when Jesus came right? And they would walk in circles seven times the altar you know, and they were remembering who delivered them. God delivered me. You know, walking on being given. I don't just want to go in there. And I don't just want to offer sacrifices. I want to remember this God who delivered me. God who me. God who is the Lord of all of these things. I don't just want to be around it. I want to walk around and around and around and around in the altar of God. So that's what that picture is. He's saying, I want to live among the people of God. Know them. I want to celebrate it rightly. I want to be clean before God. Now, verse 7 amplifies his pictures by showing us how that they and we alike should remember the great gifts of God. That, we, uh, that, that this should be what comes out of our mouths instead of naysaying and complaining. That we should be a thankful people without complaint who have words filled with gratitude. And you know, I love the providences of God, Andy. So on Thanksgiving week, we have verse 7, that I may publish the voice of of thanksgiving and tell all of thy wondrous works. It doesn't just say give thanks. Literally the word thanksgiving is right here. Isn't that kind of neat? I couldn't have planned that if I wanted to. I'm actually not good at planning time things anyway. 
but there's no milk in the bottom of this cup, praise God. All right. We should recount the goodness of God to everyone we talk to. We already talked about this week. Isn't that so much better than grumbling and negative talk, complaining? Not just eating turkey, stuffed, stuffing, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce. Is anyone planning on giving thanks this week? You guys going to do it? Give thanks for, for God? I'm thankful to have a country that, that designates a day on the calendar to give thanks. We could complain about all the bad things about our country, right? But I'm thankful we live in a place where we have a national holiday to give thanks to God Almighty. I'm thankful for my country. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul said at this in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. If you're around Brother Tim Yarbrough, he quotes this about every 15 minutes. I, I set a little calendar, a little clock, you know, and every 15 minutes, if he doesn't say it at once, I know he's not still at my house. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He runs a lot of businesses, and he says when they call him on the phone and they go, well, we got a problem. He goes, let's stop. What's the problem? He goes, let's give thanks. But the building just flooded. Oh, Lord, we'd like to thank you that our building is flooded, Lord. Lord, we don't know what you have in mind, but we know that all things work together for good to those that love you. We thank you, Lord, that our building has flooded. It, wouldn't it be neat if we did stuff like that? But, 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 but Dad, Dad, you're always going, let's stop and give thanks. Could we, could we do that on the way to the ER? You know, uh, yeah. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. From his prison cell in Rome, Paul wrote this to the Philippians in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with... Everybody say thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes understanding will keep your hearts and your mind. If you're having trouble with your mind, and I do, and I'm sure many of you do, if you have trouble with your mind, I'm going to tell you right now, Thanksgiving is a good way to turn it around. You know, I think I was talking to Brother uh, Josh a while back, right? Told you to put out a card, right? Write on a little card, keep it with you. And when you get this worry or when you get this thought and you want to complain, you need to retrain your body. You need to go, I'd like to give thanks for my sweet wife. I'd like to give thanks for my little Ezra. I'd like to give thanks for, you know, for my pastor. I'd like to give thanks for my good elders. I'd like to give thanks for a warm home. I'd like to give, you know, do you see what I'm saying? We give thanks. Talk about curing your mind from a whole lot of trouble. David continues in verse 8 talking about what he loves. Lord, I have loved your habitation of your house and the place where your honor dwells. David loves to be in the house of God with the people of God more than anything. You will see this over and over. What does he say? One thing of I desire to the Lord. We're going to get to that next week in Psalm 27 or maybe we start Advent. Maybe we'll have to wait. One thing of I desire to the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Do you think it was really the tabernacle or the building of the furniture, the sacrifices that David was talking about here? He's saying, I love the people of God. I love to be with them. I love to be around them. I love to hug them. I love to be with them. He contrasts his love for this by saying, Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands are mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. 
As for me, I'll walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. Verse 12, my foot stands in an even place in the congregation. Will I bless the Lord? May we be like David today and understand that when we gather with God's people, that we are gathering with God himself. This is one of the things that having a church, that's why everyone, that's why when Luke gets up, he said, it's everybody. That's right. That's exactly what it is. It is the body of Christ. Never, one of us is not the body, but we all sure are together. All around you are the physical hands and feet of Jesus himself, the body of Christ. If you remember, Jesus was trying to explain this. He was, he was telling those that didn't know him that when uh, brothers were in Christ for preaching the gospel and they were in prison, when you visit them, guess who you're visiting? You're visiting Jesus. He said, when, when your brother is somewhere and he's hungry, he, your brother in Christ, he's hungry, and you give him food. Who are you giving food to? Folks, we don't give food to the people in Myanmar. We're giving food to Jesus. Amen? He said, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. He says, whenever you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren... You've done it unto me. Folks, what he's telling us is that right here in this room, when I put my arms around you, Brother Derek, guess what I'm doing? I'm hugging Jesus. We, God has given us physical hands to touch. He's given us physical cheeks to kiss. Greet one another with holy kisses, holy hugs. Love each other. Hold each other's hands. We live in a sick, twisted world, but it doesn't have to be that way here. Amen? Love each other, touch each other, talk to each other, be affectionate with each other. The Bible says to do it. You might go, I'm not like that. Well, get over it and be like that. The Bible says that when we touch one another, we are touching God himself. It's not merely figurative. It is a reality. And if we understood it, we might just enjoy our time together and each other even more. When you greet one another with holy hugs and kisses, we're saying good morning to Jesus. And when you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto Christ. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? Doesn't it make you sort of love being here a little bit more today? I really hope you can love one another. There's nothing more that would please our Father in heaven. And I pray that we ask Him to clean, cleanse our hearts as well as our hands. That he would purify our minds as well as the words that come out of our mouth. That they would issue forth from a heart that is sold on him and him alone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so abundantly gracious to us. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You have not left us alone but that you have knit us together. You have woven us all together into a beautiful, warm, colorful tapestry, one that show forth your praises. Lord, we are telling a story by our love. How could we love each other? But the, the love of God was shed abroad in our own hearts. How could we forgive one another, but that you have forgiven us first? Oh, help us today, Lord, to pray prayers like this that say, Lord, judge me. Lord, examine me. Lord, prove me. Lord, try me. 
that all of those things, all of that dross and sin that is in my life would, would go away, would be burned up in the fire, and nothing would separate us from our brothers and sisters as nothing already separates us from you. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.